there's a part of God that you will never discover and he will never reveal to you until you embrace lowly service. There are no classes that you can take that will introduce you to that part of God. There are no books you can read that will let you meet that part of God. There's no seminars. There's nothing you can do to meet a part of God except to meet him in lowly service. That concept is the first that I want to talk about today. That concept is really, really important. I'm about to tell a story that I know about a tenth of you have heard. I will be up front. It doesn't bother me to tell the same story twice (laughs) until I do it in the same sermon. And then that one does bother me. But Now, it's it's one of the most defining marks of my own life, and I don't have any other choice but to say as I I see this, I've got to talk through my own heart. I came in the fall of, of 1972. I wasn't going to stay. I was... I was a pass-through. I'd grown up very comfortable and familiar with the waters of the church and the waters of the Christian life, but I knew Christ was not formed in me. The Lord might give a different answer on this, but I wasn't a hypocrite. But I was as shallow as an August mud puddle. And I came here to the Bible college because I could go one semester, and what my intention was to transfer out and go to vet school. I'd grown up with sale barns, and I'd grown up with a, with a cattle operation, and so my intent was, was to go to vet school. That's, that's where I was headed. But I, I wanted God to do something here, and I didn't want to just know rumors about God. I wanted to know God. I didn't want to be just be in the typical youth group and the typical life, and wherever I went, I'd, I wasn't running from the Lord. I, I thought vet school would be a place, but I wanted to know the Lord, and I wanted this shallowness that was here to go somewhere else. I absolutely loved that semester. That semester, so many good things began to happen for me. I'd never studied the Word as deeply and as hard as I'd studied it. I'd never prayed as much as I had, as I prayed. The people I met were phenomenal. But can I tell you, with all that was entailing, and as wonderful as it was, here was still a reality. The Christ in me still lacking. That my microphone's not working. Would you like me to go with the, 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 the corded mic? What do you mean to do here? Give, co- coach me, Dad. Okay. I, I, I didn't hear a word he said, so I'm just going to go ahead and go with what I thought he might say. You didn't do this to Julie last week. I'm a little ticked. Where it would show up for me was was intramural sports. I could hide. I, I, I could hide for the most part. Um, I was I was a little more shy than it may appear. I was a little more quiet than it may appear. 
And I could hide the inside, the, the turmoil that I felt. But intramural sports, there was a hole in me where my own identity came through much with what, what I had to succeed. If I didn't succeed, if I didn't look like I succeeded, there was a, a hole in me. And intramural sports were kind of a trap for me. I mean, they wasn't the only one, but it was certainly one of those. And I'm studying scripture like crazy, and yet I still play intramural sports. And, and there was an ugly part of me that I didn't like that was there. And I'd do all-night prayer meetings, and people would knock on my door and say, Get away from me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the fruit of the Spirit. Stay away. And I'm praying all night. And, and the fruit of the Spirit didn't come. And I wanted it desperately. I mean, you know, to open your Bibles to Galatians. I'd like you to get your devices open. We're going to spend some time in Galatians. Galatians 5.22. You know the passage. I wanted this thing desperately. I want to have the, the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I want those things. And yet, God, they seem elusive to me. They don't seem like they're in my hand. Why is that, Lord? Now, I, I read a little earlier, and, and I do know that it says that if you want the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to be led by the Spirit. Verse 18, probably. Verse 16, I know that if you want the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to have to walk with the Spirit. And I somehow thought that doing the Christian things I knew to do and to be in the Word and to pray and all of those things would certainly bring the fruit of the Spirit. I think I'd been here two weekends before I preached a youth revival in, 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 in Iowa. I, I was doing the things that I thought, and yet this inner man wasn't still who I wanted. So how do you walk by the Spirit? And how are you led by the Spirit? And where do you connect with God in such a way that you're the blind man who's healed and walk away? This story changed. And it changed for me in a way that's kind of probably unique to me, but I don't think the principle is unique. My story changed with an introduction that goes like this. There was this girl... A lot of things start that way. I was over here in the calf, and, 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 and we were sitting at a long table with 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 of us at that table, and there was a girl that I thought I might want to date. And I'm trying to find some way to connect with this girl. And I hear her say that she needed a, needed a ride to the nursing home on, on, on Thursday. Well, you're an idiot if you don't jump all over that. So I quickly said, oh, I'd be happy to give you a ride. She said, you would? I said, yeah, I'd be glad to take you. Now, what you need to know is I didn't have a car. <laughs> but that's no obstacle if you're serious. There was a guy named Denny Hall over in the dorms who had been trying to sell me his green Monte Carlo. And so I ran back to the dorms and said, hey, Denny, can I test drive that car on Thursday? And... And he said, sure. He thought he had a sales coming there. No, I had a manipulation. <laughs> and so I took the car on Thursday, and I took this girl to a nursing home. That nursing home, I, it's impossible for me to describe it to you. In my domestic travels and the places that I have been here in the States, I have never seen to this day anything like it. It was an old three-story house that had people who are dumped there when they're either families have no money or no interest, it was one of the most disgusting places I've ever been in my life. We walked in and the stench of the urine would knock you over. There were three floors in this old mansion that had been turned 
into a nursing home. And I go to the top floor, and there's a naked man chained to a bolt in the floor, and they slide a plate, a metal plate of food to him with no utensils, and he ate like a dog off the chain. I spent my day mopping urine off floors and knocking cockroaches off pillows. I'm telling you, it was one of the most profound days I had ever seen in my life. For this is what life is like for some people. There was an old woman named Arizona. I'll never forget her. I sat beside her bed a little bit, and Arizona asked if I would read some of the letters from her family that loved her. And I got in, I found about six, seven, eight, ten letters. I don't even remember now how many it was. But she'd been there six years, and that's all she had from them. She wanted me to reread the letters as if they were fresh, and I would read them to her. And, and Arizona would have little tears trickle down her cheeks as she talked about the love of her family. And I held Arizona's hand that day. I never did date that girl. I can't even remember her name now. She didn't go back to the nursing home. But I did. And every time I killed cockroaches and I mopped urine. And I held old people's hands. We were playing intramurals, and one of those incidents that occurred from, the, from my childhood, I knew my trigger. And one of those incidents, one of those things occurred, and, and I was shocked. Because the very thing I'd always longed for with a sense of gentleness and patience and even kindness, it somehow broke out of this doofus guy. And I shocked myself by my own reaction. And I went back to my room, and... And I sat down and said, God, something's happened different. I I don't understand what's happened. I I mentioned to my roommate, something is in transition. I don't understand. My roommate said, you need to know you're a different guy than I roomed with a couple months ago. And it was this passage. It was this passage. Let me read it for you. Galatians chapter 5. I want to start at the sixth verse. It goes like this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. All the religious stuff in all the world, all the rules, all the law, you need to know all of this Christian, or all this machinery of religion has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Come on down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in in keeping this command. Love your neighbors yourself. And if you bite and devour each other, watch out, you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I want you to notice something in this. It, it jumped out for me that day. And what jumped out was pretty clear. You see, I had been defining what it means to be led by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit by the terms that I thought they were. I thought they were more church work. I thought they were more praying. I thought they were more Bible study. I thought they were more meditation. But when I actually read the text, that's not what it says. 
The text is this. You turn your face to Jesus and a life of faith absolutely requires the core of effort. But if you want to know what a life of faith will look like, it goes like this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. There's a parallel phrase in verse 13. And verse 13 says, Do not carry out the desires of the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 16 has the same phrase. Don't gratify or live out the desires of the flesh, but instead you walk with the Spirit. Using your quick parallel from math class, verse 16 and verse 13 parallel this way. Randy, until you pick up the towel and basin, until the towel and basin fit in your hand because of your faith in me, You are not walking in the Spirit. And until you walk in the Spirit, I will not give you the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come from the other stuff. That concept, I think, is absolutely indispensable. goes a little like this. You want to experience more of Jesus? Do more of the things Jesus did. That's how it works. J.I. Packard, he's written incredible stuff. He said, I used to scrape my soul and trying to think, how do I become Christ-like? And I used to pound on it till my soul would bleed. He said, I would say, this carnal man has to die. You, You must not have repented enough. And I would go back and I would repent and I would repent. And he said, I was a beat up man. He said, it wasn't until I figured out discipleship is a process that it was not an issue of that I hadn't repented enough. He said, the truth was, I'd repented of all that I knew. I was an honest man and wanting to follow the Lord. But he said, I wasn't meeting the Lord daily, turning my face to Him, and then taking this towel and basin journey. And it was in the towel and basin journey God began to reveal Himself to me. That concept is really, really key. I cannot tell you strong enough. You want to behold the face of Jesus? You're going to have to meet him at the towel and the basin. If I told you that I had $1,000 to give you, meet me at the mop bucket and meet me at the mop in the spilled bathroom. There's that spill of the bathroom. Meet me with the bucket and the mop. And you said, later on, Randy, I don't understand. I went to the stage. I even went illegally into the chapel and stood on the stage. You didn't give me what you promised. And Randy, I came and I stood under the spotlight and you didn't give me what I promised. And I went to the hardest classrooms and you didn't give me what you promised. And I went to every event they have on campus and you didn't give me what you promised. I would look at you and say, wow, I don't think you get this. I ask you to meet me. at The bucket and the mop. The concept of transformation requires a sincere, deep faith. But it requires a towel in a basin. And there are no substitutes for it. My whole life, I think I've stumbled across this as a principle. I've had so many grand adventures in the Christian life, and things have been so blessed of God in my life. When I stand before the Lord, I'm going to ask, why were you so kind to me? 
But I can tell you that I have leaked the character of Christ in my life. And it wasn't because I wanted to leak and because I chose something, hypocrisy. But I would get it so involved with the things of the, of, of the church life and the Christian life, and I'm preaching, and, and I feel the pressure of the preaching, and I, and I want the Word to come alive in people's lives, and, and I'm preaching the Word, and I'm, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm writing newsletters, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I've got a staff you're watching over, and I would look up one day, and I went, wait, wait a second, whoa, I got the shell of the turtle, but I don't know where the turtle is. And I realized that what had happened is all the trapping of the Christian life, while it's not wicked or evil, it is still not central. And until I began to serve my wife, life didn't come back. Until I went widow calling and I sat down with people who were powerless and they had nothing to offer and all they had was just a life that somebody needed to be with them. Until I figured out how to invest my life in somebody that had nothing to return to me, like the Arizonas of the world, with nothing to give. Until that occurred, there was nothing good that stayed shouldn't shock us that God would say it's in these things that use your life. When, when I read James, pure religion, the sight of God is to visit widows and orphans their affliction. When I read in Matthew chapter 20, which Jesus will say the rulers of the Gentiles, they, they rule over. And they exercise authority over, but not so among you. It shouldn't surprise me that Jesus would say, I reserve a portion of who I am that you will never know until you do what I do. You're going to have to serve. In Matthew 13, when he washes the disciples' feet, and the greatest understatement of all scripture, I think, will be the last verse, verse 17 probably. This great understatement, what he said, do you understand what I've done? He'll say that a little earlier. And then he'll say, what I have done, you do. And the great understatement is, if you'll do this, you'll be blessed. I guess so. Jesus will almost go with an anthropomorphic way over in Matthew 25. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus will take this idea of prisons and this idea of clothes and this idea of sheep and goats, and he will get incredibly personal, and he says it's to me. That's what it is when you do this. There was not much wrong in my Christian life other than I had designed a way of living it that was not biblical. So tell me, why did you turn down that youth ministry? So tell me why you left the table in the cafeteria, in the floor in the cafeteria for somebody else. Tell me why the bathrooms in your dorm are not better because you were there. Tell me, and we could run through a thousand things. Tell me why the old man at the church you dodge because the story he wants to tell is just a lonely old man gets so much in the way. Tell me why you don't stay and put away chairs at the church. Tell me why you go to that church because of the role they offered you as opposed to that church with the role that they had. 
Tell me why your room does not have more consideration for your roommate. Tell me. Tell me where you're trying to find Jesus. Serving involves stooping and sacrifice. But the flesh is proud. And it doesn't stoop and bend easily. The flesh will fill your calendar up with trivial things. The flesh will tell you you've done your portion. The flesh will lawyer up and give you a pass. The flesh will even be so kind as to cover my eyes so I will not see. The flesh will even take my selfishness and dress it up and put it on parade with something humble so people can see it. But a lifestyle? You see, the flesh can do a lot of things. But what the, can't, what the flesh can't do is give me Jesus. I read this text that I can't end up with any other summary. Then Jesus says, meet me at the towel in the basin. You didn't come to a leadership school. You came to a servant's school. And if you chase this thing called leadership and you chase it down the wrong road, you will be like a postcard tour guide pointing people to a God that you believe in and a God that you want to know, but you're like a postcard tour guide pointing people to a destination you yourself have never been. This is a servant's school. Meet me at the Talon Basin. There's a second thing I need to say, and I will say it shorter, or at least I hope I will. You see, there's a part of God you'll never discover until you meet him at the Talon Basin. And there are some things that will not die in me until I serve. Oh, I could talk about we need to serve for the sake of a five-year-old girl who's got a broken heart and nobody loves that little girl and her mom. I could talk to you about the, the needs of a broken world and of all kinds of places where they need to be loved. And all of that's important. But I, but I want to just simply tell you a reason to serve is this. There are things in you that will never die until you serve. I'm an accomplished sinner. I started early on it. I'm good at it. In fact, I became very good at it long before I followed Christ. This concept of, of, of sinning, I don't need a lot of coaching on. It comes rather naturally. We're in a battleground in this text. We won't get into all the, the stuff on it this morning. It would take too long. But you need to know this is a theological battleground over terminology. Most every Christian lineage, every group at some level, John Calvin, John Piper, John Wesley, it passes through Galatians 5 on this battle with sin. And people argue back and forth about crucifixions. Are there one or two crucifixions? Have this crucifixion of the flesh. But everybody may argue over the terminology, but the truth is we all battle sin. And it is deep within us. And this battle of sin is so strong. I'm very comfortable saying to you, just to cut to the chase, I think there are two crucifixions. 
I think the crucifixions that occur in my life clearly are the first one. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. In the life I now live, and Paul goes on in a wonderful passage, the first crucifixion in my life is a pretty simple one. I was a street urchin who knew nothing of the glory of God, and in his death and resurrection he adopted me, gave me a new name, gave me a new power, gave me innocence. He gave me everything in this crucifixion. I died, as if it were, to that old street urchin. And I became a new creation because of his pronouncement over me. But it is also true that this street urchin, who now has a new name, still has this old battle. I am better at sin than I am at righteousness. And so in this text, there's at least this portion, how are you battling sin in your own life? How are you dealing with this flesh? This flesh, this bent part of you that is so prone to sin. Here's, here's what he will talk about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is a passage about how the Spirit leads me to crucify and put to death the flesh. It doesn't tell me to do some kind of self-flagellation. It doesn't tell me to go park in a cave until somehow I've worked all this out. It doesn't tell me in this daily battle except this. You keep in step with the Spirit. He points out the very things we all struggle with. We all do. Not a single person in this room doesn't know something about a little bit being like that second grade boy at the Second grade boys run into the water fountain, trying to get there first. Everybody here knows something about being that seventh grade girl who runs to the first chairs in the concert. We understand. In fact, here it is. Verse 26, let us not become conceited. It means vainglory. Vainglory. I want to serve Christ, but part of my flesh just wants to be noticed, wants to be seen, wants to be preeminent, wants to be complimented, wants to be... And so here I am serving Christ while I've got this war on the inside. How do I put to death this vainglory? And his answer is Holy Spirit saying, come on, kid. Come on, kid. Come on, kid. Loop your arm in mine. Today... Today, let's crucify part of the flesh. And we're going to crucify it. This vainglory and conceit, we're going to crucify it by serving. There are some things that just will not die in me. J.I. Packard said, I have never preached a sermon, but that I could not have done better. And he said, I have never preached a sermon. that a part of me had impure motives. For some of you in this room, the people beside you are not your companions on the road to holiness. They are actually your competition. Why did they get that ministry? Why did they get that internship? Why did they get that recognition? Why did they get that grade? Why... There's a part of us that the flesh cries out 
for prominence. Come on, kid. Let's put that old thing to death. When Jesus says every day you're going to pick up your cross, clearly he's talking about the Romans and your willingness to die for Christ, but I think part of what he's talking about, deny yourself every day. And you carry your cross daily is every single day. You've got to get up and go. My flesh would not let me serve today. It would make me prominent. This concept, I think, is why we need each other. Because I've got to serve you because it's the only way to starve the old man. It's the only way. You cannot be my competition. In writing sermons, you're going to find that putting outlines and sermons together are hard, but I don't know that that's the hardest part. I think the hardest part may be sometimes deciding. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. I don't want to boast in anything except Christ. And I don't want to serve except for Christ. This passage is a profound passage that all of us need. I'm going to tell you right now, if I had a choice, if I had a choice, if I had to make a trade, and I'm not alone, most everybody who loves you in this room if I had to make a choice, I would choose that not one graduate of this school ever preached at a mega church. That not one musician in this school ever had songs that people clamored for them to be on the stage. I would, I would plead that not one graduate ever be go to conferences and conventions and be keynote individuals. I would plead and beg that not one book that was bestseller was sold by, but if the neighbor is loved, if your children are looked after sacrificially, if the old men and the old women in church that you don't get, but I get them because I choose to get them, if the immigrant and everybody else has a story to tell that I was poor and this man lived and this woman lived, if the mentally ill man next door has his clothes washed by you, you say, but if we can't write the books and we can't do the stages and we can't have the songs, what can we have? We can have Christ in our neighborhoods where Christ himself lives. And that's where two things happen. You'll know more of God than you ever thought you would know. And there are things in you that will die that you never thought would die. That's what this passage. May I boast... In Christ alone, may I serve for Christ alone. I say this to my shame. I remember being younger, and it was a often battle. I got older, and it became less of a battle. And I stand here 63 years of age. And I'm still not unfamiliar with a battle. I would go to conferences and conventions. And I would enjoy them. And I went because I wanted to meet Christ and people. But I found, I didn't even understand my own sense of, 
almost a darkness would come over, almost a depression would hit me, and I'm trying to figure out what's happened. And then I realized I was keeping score of my peers, who was speaking, who was leading, who was where. And I'm going to tell you, I have sat down before and wept and go, God, the flesh doesn't die easy. Every single one of you know where it is you need to weep. I've been using a metaphor that goes like this. If you want the flesh to die, meet me at the Talon Basin. If you want to meet parts of me that you do not know, meet me at the Talon Basin. As powerful and profound as that metaphor may be from John 13, that's really not the primary metaphor Jesus used. That night, his metaphor was pretty simple. You want to follow me? Yeah. Then follow a broken Christ, a body broken for you, blood poured out for you. It was Isaac, as we were talking about this sermon, Isaac said, I think we need to have communion at the end of it. I think people need to stand there and take the Lord's Supper and turn and hold it to somebody else and even say out loud, may I boast only in Christ. May I serve only for Christ. We put a set of words on the stage, on the screen. You don't have to use those exact set of words. But we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and you're going to have to decide whether these people are your companions on the journey that you bear their burdens and they bear yours, and we are companions where we're putting to death the misdeeds of the body and we're both discovering the Lord, or whether this is your competition, whether this is where you preem and posture, and whether you slightly try to move ahead. This is a Jesus school. And a Jesus school only really has one call. To a one with a broken body, for your sake, come follow me. I'm going to ask that Isaac come and take this. Here's the best news I can tell you. I'm 63 years old. And I will tell every single one of you, Christ is faithful to a foolish doofus and he will meet you and he will embrace you and he will wash you up and cleanse you. This Christ is faithful. May I boast only in him.